Welcome to all of you hearing this message. Today is August the 21st of 2014 on Thursday at approximately 3.15 in the afternoon when I am sharing this message. My name is David Thompson and I am here to share with you what the Holy Spirit would say to me as an individual and to you also and to the body of Christ and to all of those who have been foreordained to hear this message in the foreknowledge of God. I will seek to give this message as the word of God commands us to minister the word. He commands us in Peter if any man minister, let him minister as the oracles of God. So I will seek to allow God's spirit to speak through me what he would say to the body of Christ for this particular time. I also in that endeavor often cast lots to be directed by God's sovereign power and foreknowledge to the right passage of scripture. Today I was led to Romans chapter 5. So the first thing I will do is read Romans chapter 5. Beginning in verse 1. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. 
but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded on to many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reign by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. In this chapter, Romans 5, this is a very encouraging chapter. It is a chapter that emphasizes the greatness of the goodness of God towards us who have received the atoning work of Jesus Christ and the greatness of that victory that we have inherited in our own lives as well as through Jesus Christ. And in the first two verses, we are justified by faith, that is, faith being the persuasion of trust that moves one in their life in the direction of that persuasion of belief that is from the heart. Basically, the word faith means persuasion. It's a moral persuasion. We are convinced, we are persuaded, and because we are persuaded in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, we are justified. That is, there is attributed to us justice when we deserved injustice because of our rebellion against God. So this atoning work of Jesus Christ that we have been persuaded to embrace with our very life results in great peace, gives us peace and access in to the favor of God or the grace of God. The favor of God that goes even beyond justification 
that we are not merely justified, but we're receiving now his favor. And it causes us to rejoice with great hope in the glory of God. As it says in verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This glory of God, glory speaks of something that is totally uh, an expression of goodness that has incredible quality so that it's as it were a metal that is so heavy because it's so dense in goodness that it is heavier and more significant than anything else so that in a sense it shines forth with its effective quality in such a way that it becomes the center of attraction of everything that it is around and the evident hub of everything that it is around. This is the sense of what glory means. We are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, that time in the future when God's glory will come down to this world and be brighter than the sun In light, and we know that light is the source of life that generates incredible fruitfulness in vegetation. There's an example of this understanding of glory in Isaiah chapter 24, which describes a worldwide earthquake. In Isaiah 24, we Go there to read the last few verses of Isaiah 24 in regards to this glory of God that will return to the earth after the world's systems have been destroyed. Isaiah 24, going to the last few verses. And it says this, Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord of hosts shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his ancients gloriously. There we have that word again. And I won't go into the meaning of that word in the Old Testament scripture, but the whole previous verses here are describing the... Re Destruction of the world system by a mighty earthquake, which is also described in Revelation. And then the gathering together of the leaders of the world that became corrupt, who are put in, as it says in the verse just before the one I read, and they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison and after many days shall be visited, probably after the 1,000-year millennial reign of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, upon the earth. But when he reigns on the earth, there will be this incredible glory. And this is a great illustration of the meaning of that word in Romans chapter 5. And so returning to Romans chapter 5, verse 2 that we are discussing. We are rejoicing in the hope of this coming glory and also that Christ in us is the hope of glory. 
And there will be a glory that will come out of our inner being and swallow up the corruption of our mortal bodies with the light of his love that emanates forth in incredible energy and power and life to the point that we, our bodies will be transformed into the likeness of his glorious body. And it says in 1 Corinthians 15, some will have the glory as the brightness of the sun, others as the brightness of the stars. They that be wise shall turn many to righteousness and shall shine as the stars forever and ever. The more there is a conformity to the image of God, which of course is the very source of wisdom and in his very being is that quality which is wisdom. The results in the result of such quality of life that is so dense. Do you know that there are writings concerning Christ that aren't in the scriptures where he said to the disciples, these are writings from the ones that were discipled by Christ, the early church fathers, and they said that Christ said that when he returns this, this other time and there's this millennial reign, that the fruit of all the plants will just be so, uh, the description was incredible when I read it. I think it was like, instead of just one little vine, it would be filled with hundreds of vines dishes issuing out of one little vine that are multiplied times greater in size with the fruit and in, and, and in multitude of the fruit. Again, an, uh, an increase of such incredible glory. And so in this passage, Paul is emphasizing that through the relationship we have with God because of the atoning work of Christ, we have this incredible hope. But this is not only what we glory in. It, it uses the word glory again in verse 3, and it says this, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Now, there that word is again. Now, this particular word glory has the understanding of the word such as the word boast. I did not look up of it is different than the other word glory, but I can tell you in a moment here if there is any difference in those two words. The first word that we just discussed on glory, where it's rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, is a different word than the word glory that is talked about here. This word glory has the understanding of to vaunt, to boast, compared to the other word of glory. And that other word of glory is a different word, doxia. It has a wide application. And its base is from a word that is basically what I described the Old Testament, which basically I was giving the Old Testament meaning of the word glory. And this word would certainly, since it's being written by those that spoke the Hebrew language, would have the same understanding and meaning of that word glory, which I emphasized and illustrated. So Paul is saying that we are we vaunt or that we 
glory in tribulations. Because tribulation works, first of all, patience. So we can actually boast to others, you know what, God is allowing me to go through all these terrible trials. Wow, he is doing a work in my life that's incredible. And so Paul is describing that when God allows us to experience tribulations, it's a sign for one thing, according to Hebrews, that we are his children. For it says in Hebrews, what father does not chastise his children? And if we are without chastisement, then we're not sons, we're bastards. The evidence that we are his children is that God does try and test our faith and will allow us to go through hard times. The word of God says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him from them all. Unlike the world, when they have trials, because their identity and their heart and their energy and their focus and their being is only in the things that are temporal that they're trying to find satisfaction in. When those things crumble that they have devoted their energy and their focus to, whether it's a literal idol or the idols of amusement or the idols of pleasure, whatever that is, what happens is that they then lose out because whatever their identity is in is what they will become. And if that is corruptible, when it corrupts, they will corrupt. It's like whatever, in other words, it's almost like this verse that says, concerning God's plan for his kingdom to come forth, it says, all things that are shakable shall be shaken, that what is unshakable might remain. And so the shaking is beginning in the world, and it is increasing, as it were, like birth pangs to bring forth something of ultimate lasting meaning and purpose and fulfillment, which is the kingdom of God, that is the ultimate economy, because it is based on the very source of life that is without corruption, which is in this love of God that is ultimate perfect love. So when people lose out on the things that they poured their whole life into that are merely like a bait that can be used by other powers to manipulate their lives, because there's always powers greater than people that are behind the things that people seek their fulfillment in that are not from God. The result is that some people are driven to suicide. Others become hardened and bitter against God and become worshipers of Satan or embrace or try to find their identity in some belief system that will allow them to feed their bitterness or their pain. And so we see terrible belief systems in this time when I'm speaking this message where people will justify 
their rebellion by a projection, a self-deceived projection of who they want God to be that will allow them to feed their bitterness and their rebellion. And so we see demonized belief systems. We see people that are ideologues and believe in what is absolutely corrupt and evil, even to the point that we see the results in terrible massacres, people being buried alive, as has been reported in the news recently, as much as 500 at one time, people being beheaded that are totally innocent, righteous people that fear God and so on. And these people are so deceived that they think that by doing these terrible things, they're going to end up in heaven. But they're only deceiving themselves, and their destiny is the very opposite forever and ever. So here we are in this passage of Scripture, and we see that when we have tribulation, all the contradictions that we experience only result in bringing us in to a greater abundance of experiencing the life of God and fulfillment in our life in the end. When we're going through it, not necessarily so. But even when we are going through trials, we can experience the comfort of God's presence. As is clearly mentioned in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. I'll just quickly go to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, and read a few verses there. And he says in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, starting in verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is to your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And I won't go on and share anything more from this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 and on. But continuing with Romans here, chapter 5, Paul is saying that there is a process of God's working in those that have put their persuasion of belief in the atoning work of Jesus Christ because they have chosen to come to God and acknowledge that they are wrong and to repent, to cry out for mercy to God that he would forgive them and cleanse them through his blood. The result is patience. Now, this word patience has some good understanding as well. I did look up some of these meanings. The word patience has the understanding of endurance. In fact, it doesn't hurt for me since I didn't get a chance to make notes to just give you a brief picture of what this word means. Patience. It means cheerful or hopeful endurance. 
It's the understanding of an endurance with hope, an endurance that is constant. And so we experience an endurance that comes into our lives. We enter into a patience through tribulation where we don't give up. And that's because the result of patience is experience. When we persevere or we have patience, or, or in other words, we endure, there comes breakthroughs in our lives. And these breakthroughs result in a relationship with God where we recognize that he is fully trustworthy all the more. So the experience is the experience in the trial of coming to the place of rest in the trial, which is a rest of faith. One of the things that happens when things happen in our lives that are difficult, let's say we find ourselves in debt and there's no resources to get out of it, and it looks like we're going to be facing a crisis. What's the first thing we want to do? We want to panic. We want to try to work it out. So there's anxiety that is exposed, or some other thing that is exposed in our lives, but the result is that we enter in to seeing those things that are not of God in us. It's like the dross that melts the gold and brings the dross to the surface. And then you see, yeah, all of this that I was doing was out of my own self. It was out of my own self-initiation. It was panic. It was not trusting God. And we ask the Lord to forgive us for being upset or troubled or anxious. And we ask him to cleanse us, and he cleanses us and forgives us. See, it's not only forgiveness that we ask for, but we ask for cleansing. That is that our inner being is changed from these self-grasping motives that do not trust God, that are the deceptions of self. And as a result, we come to a place in our lives where now we are resting in God in the midst of the storm, and not in a panic like the disciples were when the storm rose on the waters and Christ was asleep in the midst of the ship. Rather, we can be at rest like Christ was. And what did Christ say when they finally woke him up and asked him to calm the storm? He made an amazing statement. He said, peace, be still. Peace be still. Was he saying peace? He was commanding peace. And he was commanding peace with an understanding that he had the very source of peace within him, the very source of wholeness and of rest within him, to be able with authority to say, be still to the tumultuous waters. And when we have the winds of our own anxiety blowing upon 
our soul and spirit. It brings up the mud and the dirt and the mire, and we are in a panic. We're not in the place of calm where there is clarity for the light to reflect off the water and give us clear direction. But what happens when we learn to trust God and to recognize that he's in control of all these things because we are so conscious of him indwelling us with his peace that passes the understanding of our natural mind that says, how could God possibly be here? Why would God allow this? Is God against me? Why did this happen? Is there sin in my life? Or whatever it is that is causing the anxiety and panic. No, we come to know the assurance of faith that he is, uh, in, has our best interest always and loves us. That old psalm that in the book of Song of Solomon says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. And so there's a rest and a peace in him that allows the presence of God to rise up in us with authority and out of his spirit to command those circumstances to come in alignment to the will of God. In this case with the disciples, it was the storm, whatever it is in your life. And so through this experience of things in our life, we come into a place of knowing a rest in God. We know that there will be breakthrough. We know that time and time when we persevered in the past, there has been breakthroughs. And the more we have experienced those breakthroughs through experience, the more we have this faith that grows in our identity with God that is a genuine reality of abiding peace of his presence within us. So now we have great Hope, that is the next thing that is birthed out of this experience process, is hope. Our hope increases. Our hope increases because we've known time and time again in the past that when God has tested and tried our lives, there's always been breakthrough. And so we know that if there's always been breakthrough, we know that we have the assurance of that ultimate hope when we will be in heaven fully redeemed in body, soul, and spirit, and that whatever we face in this world, even if we were to be martyred or to face torture and death, we know that God's grace is there to bring us through because we've learned to not panic and focus on our weaknesses, but we've learned to bring our weaknesses to the throne of grace. Christ said that my to Paul the Apostle, that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And in Hebrews, the Holy Spirit says to those that are going through trials and temptations and weaknesses to come in the time of need with boldness to the throne of grace. That doesn't mean we 
approach the throne of God's grace and prayer in a presumptuous way. We always enter with absolute reverence and awe to howl the name of who God is. But out of that absolute reverence and awe, with thankfulness, we begin to thank God in the midst of our circumstances and even for our circumstances, recognizing he's allowing it to bring us into a closer relationship with him. Remember, the word of God says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. In everything, learn to thank God. Learn to know that his presence is there, that there's hope, that there's hope through every contradiction and trial for breakthrough. And this gives us even a greater assurance of that ultimate hope when we will enter into the very presence of the Lord in heaven with his corporate bride that is ever enlarging in love and in creativity that goes on forever and ever without end. Because, and here's the other reason, our hope. So this brings hope in us, but there's more than one reason why we have hope even in our present circumstances that God will break through and onto the end when we enter heaven. The other reason we have this hope is that we do experience the presence of God's love being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. As it says here, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. This is the evidence of our down payment, is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is the evidence of our inheritance to come. And we do experience his presence in a very significant way at certain times through our trials. It doesn't mean that always God's presence will be experienced there. Sometimes when we're in the heat of the trial, it will be like God is not there at all. And we'll just have to have that naked trust it is similar to what God himself experienced through Christ. When Christ was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, Christ is not man. He is God, fully God in human form. He is the full expression of the government of God into the time and space realm. The government of God being the Father, which is the originator and sees the end from the beginning, is in personage in that dimension of existence, of origination and beyond time and space. The Son being the full expression of God in government by personage into the time and space realm in his one and only expression, which is in Jesus Christ to communicate with his creation. And so there is, even in Christ on the cross, as he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There was, in a sense, the cutting off of God's presence, but that did not mean that Christ 
was cut off from God, for he is God. In the midst of experiencing that, he was still trusting in the Father. His soul and spirit were not like a clenched fist. Rather, they were like an open hand of trust. Total selfless trust in God in the midst of this trial so that he still had peace in his inner being because that peace comes out of the awareness that he is totally who he is and that is one with the Father because he is God. And so his spirit continued to trust the Father even when it crossed the understanding of the mind. And in a sense, it was a release to say, why, why, why? And in a trial, just because a person says, why, why, God, have you allowed this? Job did it a lot, does not mean that they're not trusting God. Job did not give up trusting God when he said, why, God, this, why, God, that? He was still trusting God. He still maintained his integrity. But he did not experience all of those things that he so craved to experience of God's comfort and of comfort from his friends. He experienced the opposite from his friends, false accusations, because they could not in their natural mind understand why God was allowing this. But there can still be a faith that allows for peace in the inner core of one's being, and this is the peace of God that passes all understanding. And it is what keeps our hearts and minds, as the word of God says, in Christ Jesus. But in this relationship with God, Christ, when he hung there on the cross, his spirit was in a state of selfless trust in the Father. He said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. When one is trusting in what is ultimately trustworthy because there is the recognition that God is ultimately trustworthy for who he is and who is God? God is the ultimate perfection of love that is revealed first in an integrity of love that is a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that is contrary to love. Love being that quality that always chooses the highest lasting good over anything more immediate. And there is an integrity that God is totally, ultimately trustworthy because he has this quality of being to contain unlimited life and power without being corrupted. And there is this trust also because out of this foundation of holiness, there is the mercy of God, the favor of God, the goodness of God. And so Christ's spirit was in a state like an open hand representing selflessness. This represents a state of being that is totally pure. That is why it says in Romans 1, 4, that Christ was raised from the dead by the spirit of holiness. His spirit was totally holy, totally pure. It did not have the deception of mistrust or self-graspingness like a black hole that is destructive within him. His being was totally incorrupt. It allowed God who he is to raise him from the dead in the Father. And God is seeking to conform us to the image of Christ through the trials that we face in our lives. And he wants to bring us, 
us to know our relationship with him where we do not shrink back, but recognize in the greatest trial that we can have hope because we also will experience God's presence. Now in trials, I said there's times when we might not experience the presence of God as mentioned in first, or pardon me, second Corinthians chapter one, which I read. But what is happening there is what Paul the Apostle talks about when he says death works in us that life might work in you. There are times you will experience even in your relationship with brothers and sisters that you've been bonded with in the love of God, that there are times when they are experiencing great blessing in their lives at the very time you are experiencing great trial. But the process that is happening in there, because you have a relationship with them, is a process where through your suffering, or as it were, taking the brunt of the attack of the enemy on your life, it is releasing them into blessing. And another time it will be reversed the other way. And sometimes this can be a big event. Sometimes it can be many small events over a period of time in relationship in the corporate body of Christ. I have known times when I've been in prayer meetings in the body of Christ and I felt so small and inadequate and weak. And I felt like it was like, as it were, I was being humbled by God. But I was being humbled that it might release others into resurrection and exaltation in God. And other times it happens the other way. Again, we learn in these times when we might not sense that others are comforting us or that we are even comforted by God. To be in that place of peace with God, the peace that passes our natural reasoning and understanding that causes us to walk in naked trust. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, when you let that work in you, that death, as it were, work in you, which is not a death unto destruction, but a death unto the destructive principles in us that are contrary to life, that then we enter in very quickly to experience the comfort of God in our trials. So in our trials, there'll be moments where we don't sense God at all, and there'll be moments where we sense the deep comfort of his presence. But out of this process, there comes an amazing work of God's grace in our lives that will eventually bring us into the place where God can entrust us with his blessings, even in the natural. It says in the word of God, after you have suffered a while, he will strengthen, establish, and settle you. And that was the case with Job. It also says in the word of God that we are to arm ourselves with a mind to suffer. Yes, we are in our times of prayer before God to consider the cost of following Christ. But to look beyond the cross to the joy that is set before us and recognize that it is worth it all. And the revelation of that joy that is set before us comes out of having a deep turning in our heart to recognize who God is in his glory that is manifested in this ultimate love, which, as it were, is an ultimate negative and positive for sake of illustration. This ultimate love on the negative side 
is the integrity of us, God's love that requires judgment against all that is contrary to his love in the slightest. He is a blazing fire, a consuming fire, because his love is so pure and pure towards us who believe that it devours everything that is contrary. But it is transcendent in abundant mercy and grace because of this foundation of integrity or of the holiness of God. And so we recognize on the positive side the incredible creativity or expression of love that can spring out of the foundation of such integrity of love, a creativity that is without corruption and that goes on and on in greater and greater creativities or expressions of love that are ever enlarging and have been ultimately manifested in God seeking a corporate bride to the point that Jesus Christ came, God, into this time and space realm and suffered more than you, a mere creature, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could know union with your God, with your creator, with the very one that created you to only find completeness in him, for that's for who you were and are created. It also says in the word of God that he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And that's because there is this process that is happening of purification from the deceptions of corruption in our being that causes us to be filled with manifestations of our own self-initiation of mistrust towards God or of rebellion or of independence or bitterness or whatever. All of these things are exposed and cleansed through trials to bring us into the place like Job, where after we have suffered a while, he will strengthen and establish and settle you. It doesn't mean that then we'll have a time of prosperity in our lives where we'll never have trials while we're in this world. It probably means that that means we've been purified like Isaiah was purified in order that he would send us to reach multitudes for him and to bear fruit onto him where we will again experience trials not so much to conform us to the image of God but to conform others, to birth them into being his sons and being brought into maturity corporately as his bride. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to the body of Christ today. I have only shared the first five verses thus far on this chapter. I will probably not be able to do justice to this full chapter, which I have only done about one quarter of. But what we see in the next part of this chapter starting at verse 6. We see from verse 6 to 8 the greatness of God's love that was exhibited to us. And it's described here. I am not wanting to go beyond sharing anything more than the first part of Romans chapter 1 to 5 in this message because it would be also too long for the hearers. People have lives where they have many things to do and having almost an hour in preaching 
is quite enough. I just want to sum up that in the last part of this chapter, it is emphasizing the greatness of the work, the atoning work that God did on the cross, the greatness of the grace that issues out of that atoning work that is far greater than the fall of Adam. By one man, sin entered into the world. But as it says in this passage of Scripture, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification of life. So it's showing that God, who allowed us to be created with free will and to make our own choices, that would result in the potential for hell, the potential to fall, which happened, had a far greater plan that out of this would come an incredible corporate bride that would be brought into union with him. And I can't go into all of this here, obviously, but he's describing the greatness of what comes out of what God has done in providing the atoning work through Jesus Christ that we can receive. That is at one with God that can be received through the sacrificial work of Christ dying for our sins on the cross, which is God who died. Not actually died in the sense he tasted death for every man. He absorbed death, but he conquered it. He conquered. He absorbed our judgments and conquered them, and conquered death and sin. Well, thank you for listening to this message, and may it be that I can continue to be supported by those that hear these messages and to continue to minister the Word of God more and more effectually to bless you.